You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. So, um, as you guys know, or you may not know, recently I was in South Africa, and uh, it was... you know, an, an amazing time as it as it tends to be. Um, we all got worn out. Half of us got sick, um, but it didn't stop us. Like nobody like skipped things. It was just what we do. We're hammerheads, so we go through and we do things. And uh, you know, I did a conference up in uh, Johannesburg, and then met with a bunch of people uh, up there, and then went down to Cape Town, did a conference, and helped uh, helped a, a ministry there launch a network. So they had about I don't know. I don't know, somewhere, I'm terrible with numbers, especially in my memory, but there's somewhere between like 40 and 80 leaders, uh, pastors and leaders there uh, to launch this network um, or collective. I mean, they're calling it a network, but it's just really people aligning together and hanging out and saying, hey, we want God to come to our nation. That's really what it is. So, um, you know, we've been meeting fairly regularly with that whole ministry uh, online for, uh, you know, for me for a number of years. And uh, it was just an honor to be a part of that. But also, while I was in Cape Town, which is my first time in Cape Town of all the times uh, over the last decade that I've gone to South Africa, uh, mostly in Transkei, um, uh, you know, meeting and, and planting churches and villages for the most part, uh, and then training at our Bible college there. Uh, but I was able to go to Cape Town. And some of you may know, if you don't know the ministries that we support, we actually have a missions wall with all of our missions uh, and pictures now. So you can go and see and learn. But we have um, a prison ministry that we support there that I never, um, I never quite fully understood until I went to prison. And I was really tired. I didn't really want to go, to be fair. Um, you know, Andrew asked me, he's like, hey, do you want to go to prison? Like, in my mind, I'm like, not really. You know, I've been going, I've been going, I was really tired. And um, I didn't even know what my answer was, but then he basically said, hey, we're going to prison. So we went. And to, uh, the plan really was to go for about three hours and just observe the ministry as it's going on. And we ended up staying the full day because God is moving so powerfully. I was so deeply impacted. And I told a little bit of the story uh, when I got back, but I was so deeply impacted as to what is going on in one of the darker places of the world. And it's, I'm telling you, where darkness is, light is so easy to demonstrate. It does, you could be on your worst day, your crankiest day, and you wake up, and your light, as dim as it feels to you, is going to be blindingly bright to someone who is cloaked in darkness and they don't even know it. And so I want to ask Andrew May is with us today. He's the chief operating officer of this ministry in, um, in Cape Town and now they're, they're going nationwide. So I want him to share for uh, just a few minutes and update us as to what's going on. And, uh, and then we're going to talk about the blood of Jesus. Amen. Welcome. Welcome. Come on. It is really special to be here. This, oh, this, this church is special. I, 
I loved it when I was back here with, with uh, we came, we, we snuck in at Christmas. It wasn't a ministry trip. Um, it was back with my three kids. It was the first time we'd been back for Christmas since 2018. And I wasn't sure how that trip was going to go because my, my little guy has, has autism. He's five years old, um, and he doesn't always do, do well in, in church culture, sit in lines culture. But then I thought, oh, we're going to visit the bridge. And, and he, he did great here. You, you guys were welcoming. You didn't care that he decided, no, those chairs need to be not attached anymore. They need to be moved around. His, his autism was firing, and you were loving on him, and I, I don't even think you noticed. Somebody with a flag was running around. Like, he, it, it was a welcoming space. And, and for, for me as a parent with, with a kid who is often misunderstood, it was really special to be in a church that, that actually didn't care and, and was just excited that we were, were here. It's been, it's been humbling that you have been sowing into a ministry that you've never seen for years. Like, no, nobody cares about prisons, even when it's personal, even when it's local. So the fact that you guys have been supporting an African prison ministry on the other side of the world, it, it says something about the priorities of this church. And it says something about what God is beginning here. Maybe if I had a, a blessing for, for the bridge in this season, it's, it's Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So there's, there's always something fresh. When I come here, I love to hear, oh, this new course, this new initiative, new faces to see the new beginnings in this place. And, and, and Pastor Paul, I would, I would speak that as a, as a word of encouragement for you because I, I know, like, we, 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 we build our own routines. We, we can get comfortable, we can get, ah, oh, we can get discouraged. It's, it's going so slowly. God, I, I want it quickly. And, and you, you may not see it always because it's it's just tuesday it's just thursday it's another day in my in my church and my fellowship but but for me as somebody who who just kind of parachutes in here at very random times not often at all it's like oh there's there's something new god has a new beginning here and i i get to i get to be a small piece of it um, cuz that that was that was my story. Like a, a missionary showed up at my Sunday school class when I was about seven years old. And I can still tell you the three points of that talk. I can still tell you the stories that he told. And at the time, he wasn't even, he was from South Africa, but he wasn't even working in prison. He was working in the refugee camps on the border with Mozambique. And if an angel had showed up and said, David, see, see that little kid in the corner? Yeah, yeah, that one there was picking his nose. Like, you, you are going to ask him to run your prison ministry someday. He's like, God, I, I'm not doing prison ministry. 
and that kid can't tie his shoes. Isn't there somebody from seminary that you can send? Do, do not despise the day of small beginnings. God, in his sense of humor, I got involved in prison ministry in America. He got involved in prison ministry in South Africa. In 2003, when I was a university student, I, I went out and, and visited. I, I emailed him from out of the blue. Hey, you don't know me. I, I want to come work for you for a summer. I said, okay. Um, and he, there was no program. He just dumped me in prison. Um, so I lived in a halfway house for a summer, and it changed my life. It was a small beginning. Again, I had a, I had a different master plan for my life. But as, as, as Paul has experienced, it's dangerous to visit Africa. You, you, you come once and you keep coming back. Um, so now my family has been there since 2008. Um, it's, it's home. And I, and I know that it's home because God continues to do something new. And I, I, I don't say that. I, I, look, I think sometimes... We, we can almost worship the new. Like we, we get so excited about something new, something different, that it makes us, it, it makes us distracted, distractible. So that's, that's not what I'm saying. And, and in fact, prison ministry is the opposite of that. It, it is a long journey. It is a long obedience in the same direction. Um, and, but that's, that's what we can share together. Because you have walked with Hope Prison Ministry for a number of years, I can report back on, on things that I had forgotten about that God is breathing new life into. And my maybe proof of that, the, the day, I was just thinking about this and it, it moved me again. The day that I was with Paul in prison was the day before the funeral of that missionary. The man who came to my Sunday school class when I was seven years old, it was his funeral the next day, the Saturday. And I was in South Africa, but I didn't want to be there. I, I wanted to be at that funeral. I felt like I'm supposed to be there. I need to give credit where credit is due. This man changed who I was. I'm supposed to be there to honor him. And, and I even had some people who were willing to sponsor me to get back. But I couldn't, I couldn't leave my wife with, with the three little ones um, it, it, Health-wise, it, it, it wasn't fair. It wouldn't have been kind. So I didn't go. But instead, on, on that Friday where I would have been landing in America, I was with Paul in prison. And as we walked into that room, this, this prisoner runs up to me and greets me. And he's someone that I'd honestly forgotten about. His name is Jock Prince. I'd forgotten his name. I met him back in like 2000 and, I don't know, 2012 maybe. Um, I'd, I'd forgotten him. And, and if I'm honest, I'd maybe written him off. It's like, no, this, this guy is not going to change. Move on to somebody else. He, he, he runs up to me. He greets me, and the first thing he asked me was, how is Papa Dave? 
David blesses the missionary who was, who was just passed away. They, they called him Papa Dave in the prison. And that was the first, how is Papa Dave? And I, I had to break the news that this, this man had passed away. But, but he just, he couldn't stop talking. He, he was telling me, I was just thinking about him. I still sing the song that he taught me. And what was, what was so significant is that this, we, we were in Malmesbury Prison. David Bliss started a Bible study there, I don't know, 2003 maybe. But he hadn't, he, he died um, after having retired to the States. He had a long battle with, with dementia. He had not been in that prison for 20 years. He had not, when he died, he could not remember that prison. He could not remember this man. He, he couldn't remember that he'd been in South Africa. But God was still using the faithfulness of his offering, the small beginnings. Like when, when, when he started the prison ministry and it was a handful of volunteers, he had no idea that in 2023 we would still be reaping the harvest of that small beginning. And... That, that was, like, I was still sad to watch the funeral online the next day. Like it, I, was, I was watching it from the Zoom link, and, and the, the room was pretty empty. It was just a handful of old white people. And I, I'm watching, I'm like, ah. Oh. But, but in my spirit, I had peace because I realized that the generation, and it was a generation that this man changed, are the people that aren't welcome in these, in these buildings. They're, they're scattered in the prisons across South Africa. They're scattered in the townships across South Africa. And he changed the country. He, he was a giant. Um, but he's, he's not going to be remembered in this place. He's going to be remembered in Malmesbury Prison, in Drakenstein Prison. Um, so thank you for, for standing with us. Um, we... we even when you don't hear from us. Um, if, if any of you want, um, we have, uh, you guys are all teched out here, but we're very old school. If, if, if you want an old school email update of what God is doing in prison, we would love to send it to you. Uh, promise I won't spam you. I've sent out one this year. It's, it's part of why we're a... <laughs> We're poor, <laughs> um, but uh, but there are some there are some new things that, that God is doing. Um, I, that that verse from 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 Zechariah, I'm 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 claiming for our own ministry as well, because there's a building project we're looking into. We're looking to start a halfway house. Um, a guy like Jock Prince, he could actually be getting out of prison, um, but there's. There's no one to sign for him. There's nowhere to go. Um, so that's, that's a piece of who we are. Um, and, and, and you are a part of it. Like this, this past Easter, we had, we, we did, we'd never done this before. I'd, I'd never been a part of it. Um, we did a, a baptism service for Easter in one of our prisons. And it was a female prison, and, and there was, there was 59 ladies who made a decision to get, to get baptized. 
And it was, it was a party. It was the first time in prison where I was like, oh, this is a, this is a bridge level party. Like, like be, because, because there was a unity between the officers and the inmates. They were singing together. They were hugging each other. You had the prison guards crying. And I, I've been doing prison ministry for 22 years, and I hadn't, I hadn't seen that. I hadn't seen that before. Like when we were going cell to cell to explain what baptism was, what we were going to do, some of the women looked at us with confusion. And yet some looked at me like I told them it was going to be Christmas tomorrow. Like baptism. I thought I was going to have to wait for five years before I could get baptized. I thought I was going to wait till after I got, got out of prison. Baptized. I want to get baptized. And, and we, we bought this big blow-up pool and we filled it with a fire hose and we, we would dunk some and, and others couldn't get all the way wet because of colonoscopy bags so we, we poured it over their head I, I, theologically Paul can correct me I don't know dunk this one sprinkle that one dump this one but but it was a party it was a party and it and, it, and I, I, I wish I wish I could have recorded it because I, as, I was, as I was thinking about this church, I was like, oh, this church knows how to celebrate. Um, and you were, you were part of what we did this Easter. So thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your welcome. And thank you that for some reason God has put a piece of your heart, of his heart in you that is, is, is always fresh. And it is always growing to the point where it covers prisons at the bottom of Africa. Give yourselves a round of applause. That's, that's, I, had, I had guards who were doing that, like in, in a way that only a big African lady can. Like, like they, they, were, they were so excited to see this, this baptism happen. Awesome. Give him a hand. It's really amazing what, uh, what we witnessed there and what they get to witness in the prisons in South Africa. And some of the darkest places that I've been, have, some of the most, just my favorite places to be. Maybe that's a reflection of my personality. I don't really know. But because it's, we think it's hard. But in those spaces, it's actually not hard. It's, it's actually easy. People say all the time, even, even at this, the conference I was just at in Los Angeles, you know, oh, you're in New England. Oh, that must be hard. That must be that. No, it's not hard. You know who family is in New England. We don't have cultural Christianity the way that some areas do. So when, when we meet someone who's actually in the kingdom, who's really been touched by Jesus, it's so evident right away. And it's surprising how receptive people are, not to a structure, but to the life that's within the structure that we call the church. When we actually put Jesus on display, not with, you know, what Paul said, he said, I don't come to you with convincing words of men's wisdom, but by the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. If we're willing to actually put 
the Holy Spirit on display, the essence of who God is, not just the ideas or the ideology or the theology. So, you know, anything that you do, and I'm just convinced that anything that you do in faith, God will honor. Amen. So, I, you know, I'm not sure that the, the dogma of baptism, like what he was talking about, well, God, you know, Paul, correct me theologically, I think anything that you do in faith, God can honor. So I, it doesn't much sure matters if it, you know if you, you hit somebody with a squirt gun in faith, or you dump water over the head, or they're totally immersed, or if somebody decides they want to be baptized five times. I think anything that you can do in faith, anything that you do in faith, God can honor. And and a couple of things that He touched on even are, are I really believe are the the word of the Lord. I mean, there, there's some things that I feel like God is saying across the board, and we're going to touch on some of it today. But, but, you know, he said, sometimes we worship the new. And I'm a little bit old. I'm not, I'm not that old. Some people got me beat, a little more experienced, but I've been around a little bit. I like to think that I'm older than I look. Yeah, that's how it is. Yes. Not, I'm, Oh, I'm younger than I look. Wait. No, I'm older than I look. Hey, you stop. See, this is why if you're local, you need to be here. Okay. I'm easily confused. So, but anyway, about 30 years ago, there was a, a message that became popular, popularized because revival hit. And so we were seeing things and experiencing things that we had not seen in this generation. And some of these things that we hadn't probably seen since Azusa Street and Welsh Revival. You know, people being hit by the power of God, people shaking, people falling down, you know, people erupting into tongues. I mean, I, I grew up in a, well, I grew up in a Baptist church, but we would sneak off to an Assembly of God church that was in revival in the 70s and 80s, you know, and so we would occasionally see people speak in tongues, and I wasn't sure how I thought about, about that. I, w I was very cerebral. I was 11 year, years old when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. What did that mean to me? The power of God came on me so hard that at 11 years ago, uh, old, I was shaking and literally the skin, the, 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 the heat of my skin was hot. Like there was a, a literal, I mean, not a literal, but a, well, yes, a literal spiritual fire on me to the point that the guys that were praying for me believed that you were only baptized in the Holy Spirit if you spoke in tongues, except I wasn't speaking in tongues. And they said, we know that you're not speaking in tongues, but we know that you're being baptized in fire right now because the heat around your body is so hot that we have to take a step back from you. They literally said that. And so I, I didn't really care what they were saying. I wasn't puffed up or I, because I, I was so in the power of God. I was just like, and, I, and this is at 11 years old. And so this was before the move of God started hitting kind of in the 90s and, and it became normal. But there was a message that started to crop up out of that about the new wineskin. And every few years, I hear people talking about the new wineskin, the new wineskin. Oh, we need the new wineskin. To the point where we almost can worship the new wineskin, but it was never about the wineskin. It's about the wine. Yeah. The wineskin is there to house the wine. If there's no wine, it doesn't matter what the wineskin looks like. And the problem is, is so much of the church over the last two, 2,000 years has worshiped the wineskin and venerated the wineskin so much that they didn't even realize that there was no wine in it. And so we've got to maintain a posture in our hearts that everything that we do is to house and release the wine. You take in the wine, you release it. What is the wine? It's the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. And I'm not so sure that every couple of months or every year or every five years that God is making a new wineskin in the way that we think it, it should be. It, usually people start saying that or thinking that because they're offended by what is. But the only thing that, that we really should be offended by is if there's a structure with no presence. But we have negative life experiences and we begin to, to shape our view of God. What is our view of God? That's actually what theology is. It's our knowledge of God. It's not just an academic pursuit. It's the way that we pursue and knowing God just the way that we want to know our family, to know our sisters, our brothers, the way that we want to know our spouse. It's coming into a greater knowledge of who they are. That's what theology is. It's not passing a test on a piece of paper. It's literally coming in to the knowledge of God. And the word says the depths of, of the wisdom and the riches of God are unsearchable, but still we are tasked to search. We're tasked to seek him out, to unearth the secret things, the things that he is hidden for his glory because it's the glory of kings and we are priests and kings unto our God or priests and a kingdom unto our God. It's for our glory and his glory that we actually unearth the things that he has buried because he's been planting seeds in the earth since the beginning of time. That's a whole other teaching that I'm not gonna get into now, but... When I think of small beginnings and I think of what God is doing on the earth right now, when I think of what God is doing in me, what he's doing in this house, what he's doing in the prisons in South Africa, this all centers around the blood of Jesus. And I start thinking about the old songs, you know, what can take away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's power, there's power, there's wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, you know, it's his name that breaks every chain, but inherent in his name is the blood. And his blood physically spilled upon the earth 2,000 years ago. And you better believe that that blood is still crying out today. The word of God never falls to the ground void. And we have now access by faith to come boldly before the throne of grace because this is what he paid for. This is what he did so that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come heart to heart and face to face with the living God, even when it's a little bit cold and rainy out on an April Sunday morning. I don't know if anybody was more cranky than me to leave New England when it was 70 and 80 degrees and sunny to go to LA where it was like 50 degrees and rainy. I'm in Southern California. Every time I saw somebody, I was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> we went to breakfast on the beach with Ken Fish and we had to sit inside because it was too cold. I know my life is hard. I'm going through trials. I'm really in the, the wilderness, brother. I'm in the cave. How you doing? I'm in the cave. I'm going through some trials. And then I come back, and I come back to the very same weather that I left. I left this weather to go to that weather, to come back to this weather, while you guys got a week vacation in the sun. And somebody said to us, have fun on vacation. 15-hour day meetings. I mean, I guess the weather didn't really matter because I didn't see any of it. And I brought it, but that's what they said. That's what, when I asked them what, what is wrong with them, they said, you brought it. And then I looked at the weather and I said, I'm going back to it. They said, see? 
I even went to San Diego. It was spontaneous. There were some friends of ours that are, they're interesting. They, they, they own a business. The revenue of that business increased 10 times. And I'm not talking about like 1,000 to 10,000. I'm talking about millions of dollars. And they're in full-time, well, they're full-time in business, but, and they also pastor a church in London. And God blessed them so much that they were able to buy their own building. They don't take a salary. They bought their own building. They've got this church. It's an apostolic center in London and they're Indian but they're in London. And then they were in San Diego with Jeremy Nelson. So I was like, we're gonna go down. We're gonna hang out with them. We're gonna meet with them. And, and we're gonna hang out with those guys. We went to San Diego and it was cold and rainy. I looked at my phone as we're driving into to, to San Diego in the afternoon and it was only 63 degrees. Going through trials. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It was a powerful time. They're like a... Indian apostles of joy in England. Might have them come out here sometime. Freak some of you out. It'd be great. If I don't freak you out enough, we got people. We can have a party. I mean, you know, I mean, it's Jeremy Nelson, Miranda Nelson, if you know those two guys. I mean, already. And she's, she's deep in theology. Like, she's at a, a, in seminary right now. Um, working toward her doctorate, although she may stop at her master's. She's getting her, her tail kicked. Um, and she, she's so grounded in the word, yet she will, when the Holy Spirit hits her, she's like a lightning rod. And we, you know, I remember her and Jeremy before they were even married, and, and they're both lightning rods. And Jeremy's just, and, you know, he's just a Holy Spirit party guy and an evangelist, a hardcore prophetic evangelist. And she's actually coming in. I told Jeremy, I was like, she preaches better than you do. She goes, I know. Like, that's my woman. For everything that we're facing in life, and not only that, but for everything that this world is facing in life, there is an answer. And the answer is wrapped up in the name and the blood of Jesus that is still crying out today. Because in his blood and in his name is his word. And again, his word never falls to the ground void. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. What does a small beginning look like? It might look like a lump of, of dust and clay that God breathes onto with his breath of life and suddenly we see first man and from that first man, a rib comes out. It's a small beginning and we see first woman. And his goodness then unfurls through humanity and people are like, well, people are horrible. Yeah, but in the midst of that is the goodness of God. When he speaks forth his goodness, when he speaks forth his life and his word, it continues to unfold for those who will access it by faith. And so as much, it's very easy to get focused on what's not happening, what, what is short of the glory of God, but we are tasked to call forth that, those things which are not as though they are. We, are. we are tasked to agree with the prayer of Jesus, kingdom come, will be done on earth that is, that is in heaven. I understand that there's warfare in the atmosphere. And, and some of it is warfare, and some of it is just this post-COVID mass sociological phenomenon that the enemy will then use as a tool to bring division. I was on the phone uh, just a couple days ago with a friend of mine who's, who's an amazing leader and he had a, a guy call him who's a, a wealth manager 
And, and by wealth manager, I'm talking about like, like wealth manager. I think it's in one of the top three banks in the world. Like they, you know, I don't remember exactly what the number is. I, I met the guy, but it, it's a big number. And he called him up and he, cause you know, my, my friend's a pastor. He calls him up and he says, how do you do it? I mean, how, when someone calls you and that's how they open the conversation, you know it's about to be interesting. He says, how do you do it? He goes, what do you mean? He's like, people are crazy right now. People are so narrow-minded right now. People are so offended right now. This is coming from a guy that's working in the marketplace, that's working in the world. This isn't even a church issue. And he's calling my pastor friend, my apostolic pastor friend, and saying, how do you do it? Meanwhile, that guy's calling me, and he's like, how do you do it? Look, all the leaders right now are calling each other and saying, how do you do it? But everybody's going through the same thing. Nationwide, worldwide. As leaders, we have to identify things that are lesser than the kingdom of heaven on earth. And if it is lesser than, then we cast it out of our thinking. That is what leadership does. And I come under the weight of it because I'm a moody musician. And I daydream of quitting. I daydream of stopping, but God. Can I confess something to you? And I probably shouldn't. Because here's the thing. People are like, well, you should be transparent. The issue is, if I'm too transparent, the hardest thing for you to do is to honor that which you become familiar with. So every time I become transparent, it's a test for you. It might be amusing to me, which I used to do this all the time. But then there was a prophetic rebuke that came to the leaders years ago. And the prophetic rebuke, it was a word of prophecy that, says, that said, you are not honoring Paul the way that you're called to honor. And, you know, that rebuke is going to the leadership group in a leader, leadership meeting. This is years ago. And I begin to trem tremble under the fear of God because this is what God said to me. It's to their benefit that they honor you, but you must be honorable. And so I had to start to shift my thinking, not because I want to look cool to you, but I have to be wise with the things that I say. I like being transparent. I like just, just letting it all hang out because it does amuse me. I like the, the shock and awe that I see in people's faces sometimes when I tell real life stories. But there was a day recently where I was just discouraged. It was a Sunday. I was discouraged. I woke up. I was that, I was that guy that I talk about all the time. And I was really cranky. I have a good poker face, but I was really cranky. I can come here and look like, like I am the man of God, but I was really cranky. And I woke up and I was daydreaming and I was just daydreaming. I'm not gonna do this. I was just daydreaming. So how many people daydream about things that you know you're never gonna do? Come on, raise your hand. Don't be lying. How, so I was daydreaming, daydreaming about walking in, resigning and walking out and being free. Come on, see, Mama Vernon knows what I'm talking about. She's like manifesting right now. Glory! She's like, I can get in on that. That's how I felt. And then I walked up, and I, I, it was one of my days to open the service. 
I open, I picked up the microphone and you guys jump in, jumped into worship before the band even started. That's what happened. Now, I'm going to be honest with you that for about a nanosecond when y'all did that, I was highly annoyed. I was vexed in my soul. And I looked up to the Lord. I literally looked up and I went, okay. Okay, I get it. And I said, I need, to, I need to catch up to where you guys are. His power is perfected in weakness. This is why I boast in my weakness because that's the space where his power is perfected. And it's not always a charismatic magic trick. It's not always some sovereign thing where the Lord comes down and he comes into the space of your weakness and he makes you strong in that area. I was still weak in that area, but you were strong in the area that I was weak. You became the worship leaders on that Sunday morning. You may never have a microphone. You may never get on a platform and sing in front of people because y'all don't Dev, but you can still be a worship leader where you are when you make the decision on a Sunday morning, bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You create an atmosphere around you of worship that will begin to suck people into that atmosphere that weren't ready for it. You're a worship leader, you're in full-time ministry and it's all by the blood of the lamb because his blood cries out today. Genesis chapter four, I'm gonna start here. We're gonna roll right through just a few things. And I'm not sure, I'm even totally satisfied that I've tied all this together. But as you all know, I might get through half of it. Today's one of those days. I'm not going to 36 point fine. I've already decided. 30 point, and it's still a little bit blurry. I'm older than I look. I got it right. Genesis 4, and we're going to start 1 through 10. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve. I'm not going to exegete that part. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child. I, I have to say it that way. I'm sorry, guys. I just, that's just the way that I have to do it. I've watched too much Brian Regan. A man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the, of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became, became very angry and his countenance fell. The key here is his countenance fell. It's probably another teaching, but verse six, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? I do not know. Am I, am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me 
from the ground. Blood has a sound. Blood has a sound. Injustice has a sound. Calamity has a sound. But on this end of things, that sound is a sound that stops here. Because, for example, when you play guitar or any stringed instrument, if you pluck one string, the neighboring strings will begin to vibrate. It's called a sympathetic tone. The natural things speak of the invisible. This is why we can have something that hits a culture, that hits a society, that hits a world. There's a phenomenon even called groupthink, that when you get a group of people, they, can, they literally will start to all think the same way, whether for better or for worse, and then it ceases to have the diversity of opinions that, or, or, or diversity of ideas that will actually push an organization forward. Because in the diversity of ideas is the inherent tension that becomes the catapult that springs us forward in purpose. That's why there is a five-fold ministry. If you've ever put, you've ever been sitting at a table where there's a pastor and a prophet sitting at the same table, or a prophet and an evangelist in the same table, or a teacher and everybody else at the same table, you are going to see inherent tension because of the way that we are wired. We're wired with certain giftings. We're wired with certain propensities, but it's in that diversity and in that tension that propels us forward into kingdom purpose. And it's unity doesn't mean that we always agree. It just means that we love each other on the other side of disagreement. Unity is not the intellectual assent on an idea. It's literally the place that we stand. According to Psalm 133, unity is when we are in the yachad. That means literally in the Hebrew, the only, as in the only begotten son of the father. It's not something that we do with our brain. It's something about where we stand. And when we stand inside the sacred name of the name Jesus, then we will be unified because we are in him. Him, not in us. Does that make sense? Okay. So blood has a sound and justice has a sound. Calamity has a sound. There can be a calamity that is on the earth, but the resonance of that calamity stops right here. Because anything less than the culture of the kingdom, anything less than the fruit of the spirit is null and void in the name of Jesus. We can come under it or we can rise above it. We can surrender to it or we can be the solution to it. Offense says that you're owed something, but his blood speaks a better word. Offense says you are owed. The cross says that you are owned. Sin says you are a slave, but the cross says you are saved. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are no longer slaves to the law of sin and death, but we've been invited in to the law of grace, the law of life. And now we are purveyors of that grace and life in a world that's still living under the law of sin and death. As a matter of fact, most people view the church, they view this idea of Christianity as being a religion that is a purveyor of the law of sin and death when really, we are the releasers of life on the earth. 
The world is expecting condemnation from the church, but Jesus is the one that stood with the woman who was caught in adultery and all the religious leaders you know, threw her at his feet and said, what are we supposed to do with her? The law says that we're supposed to stone her. And Jesus said, you know what? You who are without sin, you cast the first stone. You, in a sense, you who have never lusted after a woman, you cast the first stone. You know, and he, you know that's the story where he draws the line in the sand. He starts doodling in the sand. Oh, I want to know what that is. Never says, because he's not really in the business of uncovering you. He's in the business of covering you. Whatever he wrote that convicted the religious leaders in such a way that they walked away one by one, that wasn't important to the story. That's what we want to know. That's what I want to know. But what was important to the story was that he looked at the weeping woman caught in adultery and, she, and asked her, where are your accusers? And says she looked up. She said, there are none. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go, and you will sin no more because you just came heart to heart and face to face with the living God. That's what's important to the story. That's how he rolls. And so in this example in Genesis, which sets the stage for me, for the power of the blood of Jesus, we see that God heard the voice of Abel's blood cry out. He, I love the way the Hebrew puts it because it's the voice, the coal. It's, if we were to spell it phonetically in Hebrew, it would be Q-O-L. He heard the voice of Abel's blood cry out. I don't think that's a metaphorical thing. I think that there's something about blood that releases a sound in the spirit realm. This is why we see in areas where there is immense persecution, revival always rises up. The enemy has never been successful at squelching the church. A few years ago, I was going to China, you know, once or twice a year because we had some ability to do that. We were, we were able to go in. We were able to, to train leaders and, and do street ministry and all, all the things. We could do all of these things. But there came a moment where the, the switch flipped and the government said, we're done. And at that time, we, you know, we were working with Wagner University, which is you know, something that Peter Wagner himself planted in China. We had cohorts in many of the major cities and we would bring them together and, and do trainings and, and send them back. And I'm talking about not just church leaders, but I'm talking about business leaders. I'm talking about movers and shakers in the nation. And there was about a $300,000 investment over time that went into building out the infrastructure. And in one day, the government came in and decimated the whole thing. And Che... Che On, who's our, our apostolic leader, we're aligned with Harvest International Ministry and we're aligned with Che and I'm aligned with Che. And he, he told some of the leaders uh, last year, he said, hey, we're praying for you. And they said, you don't need to pray for us, we're praying for you. 
So this is the best thing that ever happened to us. It's driven all of the churches that were sort of underground churches, but they were meeting in high rise buildings and kind of these you know, million dollar, multi-million dollar type facilities. Not that they were fancy, it's just real estate is expensive. They were driven literally back underground and revival is breaking out again. They said, we were, we were, we were trying to be too much like the West. We were trying to be too much like, like a, a, a structure that we had seen on the internet, but now we're just going after him. And so we're praying for you because we want God to do for you what he's doing for us right now. Now, I don't necessarily want that level of persecution, but man, I want revival. And it was a prayer that I prayed for hours and hours and hours and days upon days when I was in my 20s. God, do whatever it takes in me to bring you where you want me to be. But it, the older you get, the harder it is to pray a prayer like that because you understand the cost. It's fun to sing about refiner's fire. It's a little less fun to experience it. Being refined in fire is a violent process to your soul. So God heard the voice of Abel's blood cry out from the ground, but he knew the blood of Jesus would release a greater sound. He knew the blood of Jesus would speak a better word because Jesus is known as the land, lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. That means when the fall happened, there was a plan hatched in the secret war room of heaven that the enemy was not aware of. And that Jesus was established as the lamb that would be slain at that time because he can insert himself into our timeline at any, any given point in time, but God always lives outside of it. This is why he is the author now, the author and the finisher of our faith, because he knows the rest of the story. And when you know the rest of the story, you are not concerned about what point of the story that you are in. I love football. And sometimes, occasionally, my sister does this more than I do, but we'll get together and we'll watch the Super Bowl where we played Atlanta. Now, you may not know, if you're not a football fan, we were down, what was the score? Was it 28 to three? 28 to three at halftime. Now, I got invited to that Super Bowl. I was given a ticket, but I stayed home. And, and part of it is, you know, I, I think I was busy and I had a trip either right before that or right after that. I was invited to the Super Bowl this year. But the next day, I was flying to South Africa and I was like, I just can't. I, some people can do that. Some of y'all like super adventurous and you can wrap your brain around like flying to the Super Bowl and then leaving the Super Bowl and then flying to, to South Africa to go do ministry. My, my brain's not wired that way. I'm more of a homebody. I like, and I like, I like watching it with my family and all that stuff too. But I was invited to that Super Bowl but we were at home and, and there was a family that, that moved to California. The Douglases were still great friends. We, we hung out with them for an afternoon and evening uh, when we were just in California and they were over the house. And so we were all watching the game for about the first quarter. And then it wasn't looking good. By halftime, one by one or probably two by two, you know, the ladies went upstairs. So Deb and Mary, I'm not even sure if the kids were there, but Deb and Mary go upstairs it's just me, Ed, and Riley, and we're just gonna stick out the game because this is what we do. 28 to three at halftime with no end in sight. Miserable. This is my team. This is my dynasty. This is my destiny. 
We are part of a New England. <laughs> Just going to stop the metaphor right there. And play by play in the third quarter, we score a touchdown. I'm like, oh, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. All right. Give me another buffalo wing. We score another touchdown. And we get into the fourth quarter. We're getting a little bit closer. Now our eyebrows are raising. We're getting halfway through the fourth quarter. And then we hear a scream from upstairs. Now here's the problem. I do YouTube TV. So it's a streaming service. And it's upstairs and it's downstairs. But the upstairs stream was about six to eight seconds ahead of the downstairs stream. So they, they're flipping back and forth from HGTV to the game, and they see a score and a touchdown or interception, I don't know what it was, about six to eight seconds before we did, and now I'm mad. I'm like, you got, you turn that TV off and you get down here. If you're gonna suffer, we're gonna suffer, you're gonna suffer with us. But you can't be lukewarm, bouncing back and forth. You're either in or you're out. You're either in the fire or you're out. But you're not going to be bouncing back and forth between the kingdom and HGTV. <laughs> so they came down, and as some of you know, we ended up winning in overtime. The greatest comeback, the greatest game in Super Bowl history. Now, sometimes my sister and I will get together and we'll watch the game. But because we know how the game turned out, the first half doesn't sting like it did when we didn't know. Because we saw the alpha and the omega. We saw the beginning and the end. This thing occurred on a timeline, but we are now outside of that timeline, and we're looking down upon it as though we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We see the struggle. We see the difficulty. We see the battle. We see the calamity, but it doesn't penetrate here because we know the end of the story. Such it, it is in the kingdom. There is calamity on the earth. Earth. There is all kinds of division. Patricia King even recently had a dream about the attack of the enemy that is coming upon the church that is trying to reap division and strife and calamity upon leaderships globally. It's not just in one space or pocket. It's not unique to you. It's not unique to me. It's what the enemy is doing. But the calamity stops here because I know the end of the story. And his blood speaks a better word. The blood of Jesus brings redemption and forgiveness. The word of God says in Colossians 1, 14, one of my favorite passages of scripture. This one might, might be my favorite, the whole, the whole thing. It's an amazing thing. But it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Another passage says, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. The blood speaks a better word. The blood is necessary for redemption and forgiveness. But not only that, that is what frees us from, thing, from something, but the king never, his desire was never just to cause us to escape something. It was actually to call us into something. It was to call us into purpose. It was call, to call us into an identity. It was to call us into royalty with all the glory and the benefits of it, but also the responsibility of it. 
And so number two, the blood of Jesus brings healing and restoration. The word, over, the word of God over your life says in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his or with his stripes we are healed. The blood of Jesus brings healing and restoration to our bodies, our minds, our souls, and our spirits. But not only that, number three, the blood of Jesus brings victory and protection. In Revelation 12, 11, we read that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of Jesus brings us victory. And when we plead the blood of Jesus over our lives, it answers every attack of the enemy. Everything that comes to you, that comes upon you, that is lesser than the standard of the kingdom of God, that is lesser than the culture of heaven, is of darkness, it is of the enemy, it is designed to come between your face and his, and to cloud your vision, to cloud your wisdom, and it, it is to be cast from you. Every stronghold that is not of God is to be dismantled brick by brick because if you don't, it will become a resting place for the schemes of the enemy. You can't cast a stronghold out. It's a system of logic that's based upon lies that we have come to believe that are true and we dismantle those things with the word of God. Demons can be cast out, but strongholds of the mind must be dismantled. And that comes, one comes by the blood and the other comes by the word. The enemy thought the blood of Jesus was the sound of victory. Wholeheartedly believe that. Why would he do it? Why would he follow through with his plan? He understood who Jesus was. He tried everything. He tempted him in the desert after 40 days of fasting. I mean, I know guys that have done, I, if y'all have done a 40 day fast, I love you and I honor you. I've never done it. I've done a week. 40 day water fast. Every time I see Lou Engel, I'm expecting him to call another Esther fast. Another 40-day fast. We need to call an Esther fast to the nations. You know, I'm like, I just want to stay. As a matter of fact, there was one time I was out. At, we were having lunch with him, and he was eating like an 80-ounce steak or something. And he's at the table because he does this all the time. This is just who he is. He's like, we need to call an Esther fast to the nations. And I'm watching him eat this massive steak. And I guess I was like, I, I guess you're preparing for it. You gotta have something to burn off in those 40 days. The enemy thought the blood of Jesus was the, was the sound of victory. Little did he know that he was right, but not in the way that he thought. We can hear the sound of victory, but mistake who won the battle. The enemy thought he'd won, but the sound he heard actually said, you're done. The blood cries out. The enemy is coming after leaders in the kingdom right now. He's coming after people right now all across the land. And some of it is, you know, is the direct hand of the enemy. And some of it is us surrendering, surrendering to the calamity that is already in this world. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world. There is a sound originating from the second heaven designed to deceive you. 
I'm not here to teach about that realm of spiritual warfare, but when I say third heaven, first heaven, there is a heaven in the space of understanding that we know this is where God dwells. This is where his throne is. The first heaven is where we are right now. He has authority there, here, and everywhere. We have authority here, but there is a realm that the enemy rules from, and he does everything in his power to inhibit our connection to God. That's what sin is. Anything that we put between our face and God, that is the definition of sin. Plain and simple. And there's this sound originating, originating from the second heaven to deceive you. I had a vision last week, and I don't have a lot of visions, but I do. And I could see the calamity, the darkness the schemes of the enemy, the stirring of the enemy in that second heaven realm. And I could see the layers. And so I could see the third heaven and I could see where we were and it was during worship. And I could see that, that layer of darkness, this layer of unholy thickness and blackness and the sound of the enemy as he tried to inhibit the connection between God and man. And then I saw this hand over the darkness and the hand squeezed and as the hand squeezed blood began to drop but the hand did not appear until the people of God released a sound and so as the people of God stood up and we began to worship and we began to declare and we began to prophesy with the sound we began to make the decision that I'm going to come before you with thanksgiving in my heart that I'm going to put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness according to Isaiah 61 literally that Hebrew for heaviness is colorlessness when we feel dull when we feel weak in that moment where we feel we least feel like praising God is the time that we put on a garment of praise and watch what happens that heaviness begins to lift off he begins to awaken the light inside of you it's what God told Timothy stir afresh kindle afresh the flame put in you by the laying on of hands why because when we put on a garment of praise oh the, the spirit of heaviness begins to lift off of us and we take on the new garments, the new priestly garments that he has for you right now. And so as we began to release the sound, the hand squeezed, the blood began to pour, and the darkness became irrelevant as that cloud parted, and it was direct connection, third heaven, first heaven, and I was able to behold the glory of the living God, not because of anything that I did, but because of what he did. His blood speaks a better word today, and his blood is still crying out for you and me. I'm not yelling because I'm mad. I'm yelling because I'm excited. Some people say, well, you look so mad. I'm not mad. I'm excited. This is how I look when I get excited. You should have seen me playing ice hockey, man. I got a face on me like I also had a mouth on me that needed to be purified, but thank God. I'll... Never mind. So there's a sound originating from the second heaven designed to deceive you right now and for all time until the fullness of time. Offense, wounds, division, deception, history, anything to cloud your vision. Anything and everything that will come between your face and God's. But destiny has a name and his name is Jesus.
And Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks. But God is saying, sin is crouching at the door, but it was designed for Jesus. See, that's what God came, he came down to Cain because he saw what was coming down the pipe. Look, this is, this is in the Old Testament, that the Old Testament that so many people think is, is irrelevant, but even at the beginning, God was coming down and warning, offering a warning, not because he wanted to hit us with a stick, but because he wanted to keep us in the space of blessing. And he says to Cain, behold, sin is crouching at your door. Don't you understand that there is a time coming where my son is gonna walk the earth and say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's the only knocking I want to hear in the door of my heart. But if we allow that which is lesser, on, lesser than to continue to buffet us, to continue to penetrate us, it will no longer be the hand of Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. It will be something lesser than sin is crouching at your door. Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks, but sin always seeks to take the place of Jesus in your life. What do you engage in to comfort you? What do you engage in to distract you? What do you engage in to medicate the pain and the wounds of your history that inhibit you from walking toward destiny? Sin is crouching at your door, but Jesus is standing at the door and knocking right now. And he might be doodling in the sand, but that's not the important part of the story. The important part of the story is he's saying to you right now, where are your accusers? There are none. Neither do I accuse you. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. It's hungry to consume you, but you can master it. Romans chapter six says that sin shall not be master over you. Why? Because the blood cries out. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. His blood still cries out. 2,000 years later, the ground that opened its mouth and received the blood of Jesus is still releasing a sound, and there is a sound in the ground that calls for heaven to come down. And it's the cry of victory. It's the cry of freedom. It's the cry of redemption. The sound of redemption is more powerful than injustice. The sound of redemption is more powerful than pain. The sound of victory was the joy set before Jesus. The sound of freedom brings joy that will become your strength. And Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was on the other side of it. And now you can break through all things, endure all things, persevere through all things, and, the, and overcome all things by the blood of the Lamb and the sound, the word of your testimony. It's a sound that he put in you that you've got to release from you. It's not just the blood. It's not just the cross. It's the sound on the other side. And that's the word of your testimony. You feel under, you rise above. You speak the testimony. You release it everywhere that you go. You live the testimony. I'm not saying you gotta close every deal, but I'm telling you that there are people in this land, in this region right now that have no idea that God is good. 
and we are inhibiting our testimony because of our pain, because of what we think is in the world. We have made the things of this world greater than he that is in you and me. Where does that testimony come from? The blood that still cries out. Even in Genesis, if the blood of Abel was received by the ground and cried out to God, how much more the blood of the divine. His blood speaks a better word over you today. Let's stand together. I don't have a lot of visions necessarily more than some but there was a day when I was younger I was brash I thought I knew everything and I would meet with my first spiritual father for three hours every Friday and we would take significant portion of that time we spent a year or years going through Romans 4 and then on to Romans 8 and then I would follow that up by telling him everything that the church was doing wrong because I was 25 and I knew everything I thank God to this day that he's never sent me a me because I don't know that I would have the patience and pastoralness that my first spiritual father had but in my brashness and in my immaturity, I was easily offended. Not, and not offended in the way that I necessarily would get hurt, but offended in the sense that I always thought I was right. And I had an addiction to be right. And if you have an addiction to be right, then you will miss the facts of the case. You could, well, you could adhere to the facts of a case, but not find truth. We talk about this in, in premarital counseling see it all the time you know couples that are addicted to being right and they're so addicted to being right that they would rather be in conflict than actually find truth and i want to talk about my truth your truth it's popular things i just want to speak my truth i don't care about your truth i care about truth i don't want a bunny trail on that but no i do but i'm not going to and so I was a worship leader during these revival days, which we all think revival is amazing and honky-dory all the time and everybody loves each other and everything's great. But, you know, as a worship leader or as a leader, even in those times, there was always criticism that came. And, you know, people would come up to me and, and say, well, you're, you know, you're doing too many old songs. Oh, you're doing too many new songs. You're doing too many of your old, uh, own songs. You know, why are you, why do you move around so much? You're worshiping in the flesh. Your worship is soulish. Your worship is this. Your worship is that. I even had an intercessor walk up to me with the Bible open, which she didn't read, but she walked up to me and looked at me and said, you really missed God today. These things happen. You think your life is bad. Go to a prison in South Africa. You'll see. It will reorient your thinking. And this went on for months. Now, I didn't have a John Paul Jackson in my life at the time to say, you know, what you need to ask yourself in this scenario is, what is it about me, Lord, that you're trying to change that you would allow this to come into my life? I was more like these people. 
Don't they know how great I am? Don't they know the prophetic words that have been spoken over my life? I will be an intergalactic apostle to the nations. Perfect timing. Glory. I was done, much in the way that I felt recently here, except that I'm more experienced now. So even when I feel like I'm done, I'm never done. I know I'm not done, but I can feel like I'm done. It's okay. He will paddle me as he does. But I was done and I told the Lord, this is the last day I'm leading worship. This is it. We got up and we were doing happy worship, I'm sure, which I can do. I've got a good poker face. I can probably even doing that happy song, you know, I will dance, I will sing. I didn't even like it that much, but you know, people liked it. And in a moment, as you guys are standing now, the people were worshiping and I was on a little bit of a platform, so I was a little bit elevated and the people became sort of blurred. And I was positioned kind of like this with the keyboard and I was doing my thing and I was bringing a sacrifice of praise because that's what I do even if I'm cranky. And I looked over and I saw Jesus over the people. And he was carrying the cross and he was beaten, he was bloodied, he was bruised. I mean, honestly, I couldn't even see bruises per se because... He was so scabbed and bloodied. This is before the Passion of the Christ movie came, came out by a number of years. And, but that was, the, if you've ever seen that movie, that was literally the, the picture, the closest thing I've ever seen that equates to what I saw. And he was walking from my left to my right. And I can still see it clear as day. Some days I just live it. I still remember it. And he got to the middle of the room and I'm still playing. And he looked to me, his face turned and he locked eyes with me. And he said, what offense are you bearing that I have not already borne for you? And all of that angst and all of that frustration and all of that need in me to be right lifted off in that moment. And I wish I could say that I turned my eyes to Jesus. No, he turned his eyes to me. Because sometimes he's just that good. And every hurt, every pain, every offense was gone in one moment of looking into his eyes because his blood still cries out today and it speaks a better word over your life. For those of you who are here, those of you who are online, this is a time of decision and this is what we do. It, I'm not here to make decisions for people. I'm just here to bring people to a point of decision. And I've seen people that have gone to church for years that don't know him. They know about him. They like the 
the kind of warm feeling they get from being around him. It's just like the people in his day. I mean, there were 10,000 that came to a side of a mountain when he was doing the stuff, but only 120 remained in the upper room. Because to some, the cross looked like a victory for the enemy. They didn't perceive that it was victory in Jesus. His blood speaks a better word over you today, and he's looking for wholehearted commitment. I don't ever really ask people to try Jesus. It's popular. Sometimes you could do that, but I, I don't, I'm not in for that. I, I ask people to commit to him because there's such a divine exchange. Yes, he wants your heart. He wants your life, but what he gives you is so exponential in return to free you, to cleanse you from everything that is lesser than so that you can stand in the midst of calamity and now you can be the one that says, peace, be still. Would you commit your ways to the Lord today? And I'm not gonna pray a prayer with you today. It just starts with acknowledging your sin. And the word says if you, are, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive all the time. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter what happened last night, what happened this week. Doesn't matter what you've done. His blood speaks a better word for you today. Would you say yes to him? Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.